0: Exactly and, uh, oh maybe that was just a spontaneous clap offering unto the Lord. <laughs> Praise God, good morning everyone. it's good to see you and it's a blessing to be here to share the word of the Lord with you today. Um, we are in our penultimate section of Malachi, um, looking at Malachi 3 verses 6 to 18, Malachi 3, 6 to 18, and um, yeah, just been reflecting on the way in which the Lord has really just been speaking to us through this text, what a blessing it is, and today we get to... Revisit what is somewhat of a familiar text for some of us, at least for the the key quotable that's found in this chapter. Um, but considering it in in its context is always going to be most instructive for us. Now, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place where you've um, been someone who is has really given consideration to, you know, presenting someone. With a, a birthday present, and you know you've kind of really laboured over it and thought through it, and you've given it to them, and you felt really encouraged by their response, and you kind of know that feeling of um, giving something that's appreciated. Some of you looking at me like you've never had that experience before. <laughs> The Lord is a healer, don't worry. (laughs) All that giving you've been doing and it's been unappreciated. It's okay, the Lord sees. But nonetheless, there are also those times in our lives when maybe, you know, someone's actually kind of called us out. Well, you didn't even get me nothing for my birthday. And in that instant... With that kind of hot flush of um, discomfort you might have been like ah, you know what and then whatever the reason or excuses follows or maybe you just didn't because you didn't care to like you knew it was their birthday and you're like, you know what, I hope they have a good day you said to yourself (laughs) and yet For a statement like that to be made, it can still feel quite challenging, even if you didn't care to give them a gift. When it comes to us giving to the Lord, it might feel that we often find ourselves in that latter place. Especially the way in which this text is used. And yet, the Lord truly appreciates our giving even though he has everything. You know, at Christmas you always hear those phrases, what do you give to the person who has everything? You know, and it's probably indicative of just how overtly prosperous we are in the West, even for sentiments like that to be expressed. Yet, the Lord appreciates our giving, especially when it comes from the right place. And so we'll, experience, we'll explore that today as we look at the text. And um, may the Lord help encourage, challenge, strengthen, guide, and direct. And even set some of us free today from certain bondages that have, have resulted as, a, as, as, as this text has been used in the past certain shackles that we've been under, and yet freedom is found in Christ. So I'm going to read the text and then we'll pray. Malachi chapter 3 from verse 6, reading from the ESV. Hopefully you guys are able to follow in the Bible. I'm going to be checking some verses today, so I'm, I'm going to ask you to track with me and I will announce them loud and clear so you can. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 18. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you. So that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evil doers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which your word, as the Apostle Peter said, um, speaks to all things that pertains to life and godliness. And um, as we, Lord, hear your heart, your sentiments, your challenges in this text, Lord... I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you would say by your Spirit. Also, as much that we would hear the comfort and encouragement in this. And so, have your way among us today, Lord, I pray. Amen. So, as we um, come to the text, we understand that Malachi is framed around, I think they said, six disputes where the Lord puts a charge against them and they respond with shrugged shoulders. And so we see this here um, in verse 7. Return to me and I will turn to you, says the Lord. But you say, how shall we return? Like, where did we go? Like, what happened? But Now... The Lord prefaces his statement, his invitation, even his command, by saying, he is the Lord that does not change. He is the immutable God. He, he neither changes nor can be changed. Because he is the eternal God. And that's a blessing, that's a wonderful thing. In Hebrews it says it like this. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. You never have to wake up thinking, wow, did I wake up on the bad side of God this morning? I wonder what kind of mood the Lord's in today. Uh, We have this joy of knowing the consistency of God's character. That God is always the same. And that is wonderful and yet it's a warning. Because he's Still the same God. Even when times change. And we want to go with the times. And we want to say to the Lord, keep up old man, times have changed. And he says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And so wherever you're going, you best better make sure that I'm there. Because if these changing times are taking you somewhere that I'm not, then it's best you just... Nowhere to find me. And there was a sense in which this was true for the children of Israel as they, they'd come out of captivity and they may have been feeling like times have changed. And yet the Lord is telling them that they need to change. If ever we find ourselves in a situation where we feel like God is distant, God's far off, God's moved. Actually, we see here that God hasn't gone anywhere. God doesn't change. The reality is that the change is more likely in us. And so when the Lord says, return to me, he's telling them to change. Change your direction, change your trajectory, and reorient yourself in line with me. Focus on me anew. Focus on me afresh. Turn to me. And it's beautiful because what an encouragement there is here. It doesn't matter how far we feel like we've gone from God. The Lord is saying with open arms, return to me. Like the the father of the prodigal son. Who dispensed with all dignity and decorum. Gathered up his fatherly garments and ran after his son to meet him as he returned to him. It doesn't matter how far you may feel right now. The Lord is there and says, return to me. Return to me and I will return to you. We're able to have a renewed experience of God in our life. You know, we may have felt like through the course of the, the pandemic and the isolation and quarantine and, and all of that and the way in which it disrupted church church life, things have never been the same. And we can kind of look around here and say, well, things, ain't, things weren't like this before. And yet let us be encouraged that we're able to have a renewed encounter, a renewed experience, renewed engagement with God because he has promised that we turn to him, he will turn to us. And we hear similar words in James chapter 4 when James states the same thing, basically. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. And that isn't now putting a burden on those who don't know the Lord to try and muster up relationship with God by putting everything in order in your life in order to have the Lord come to you. This is to those who know God, have known him, have drifted, and need to return. You see, the Lord is always the one who makes the first move. I remember reading a book by A.W. Tozer. I think it was um, Men Who Met God, one of those books. Come across any A.W. Any Tozer books. Small, readable, and so profound. Tremendous. And he talks about God's prevenient grace, the the. the The act of God that always acts first in human affairs. That sense of God taking the initiative. And so you may be feeling far from God and if you're within the sound of my voice, you can be guaranteed that God is taking the initiative right now in your life. You're hearing me say this, whether in person or online, whether it's recorded, whatever. And this is an expression of God taking the initiative and instigating the invitation. I'm here. Turn to me. And yet, their response. How shall we return? And that suggests, at the very least, indifference. I mean... Old school, we would say that's feisty. How you you can be questioning big, big God? How How shall we return? As if nothing is wrong? As if God has lost his mind? I mean when we consider the dynamics of who's in this conversation, it kind of is supposed to give some perspective. But they never had that. And so God had to put it on them again. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Now the notion in and of itself is It's almost a comical one. I heard, I heard a brother say, God got gangster on them. It's like, what? You're going to rob me? Like, do you know who I am? <laughs> and yet you're trying it. Are you mad? Yet you are robbing me. And so they'd been withholding from God the tithes and offerings and contributions. And as a result, they were suffering. They were experiencing the curse of their disobedience. They were flouting an age-old, long-established code, command, rule, that was fundamental to their framework and not just their religious life, but their civil life. Now, it's no wonder, I mean, in chapter 2, God's already said, look, you're trying to bring me offerings and you're bringing me mangy, nasty, dirty, worthless offerings as if that's something that I'm to accept. So we can already see that heart of selfish indifference within the people. And yet the Lord puts a finer point on it. God had established from the book of Numbers that a tithe was to be given. Now, a tithe, we hear the word tithe. It's time for the tithes and offerings. And it sounds very sacred and and very spiritual and religious, and it just basically means tenth. And I think we don't say tenth because tenth doesn't sound quite the same. It's it's time for us to receive our tenths today. Let's give our tempts unto the Lord. It just doesn't sound right, does it? Even with the new translations, it just doesn't sound right. But this was a sacred part of their life and framework as a society. And so God had established that the Levites, who were the priestly tribe, were to receive a tenth. Well, actually, before we even go there, let's just clarify. Um, Look with me at Leviticus. Leviticus. Twenty-seven, verse thirty. Leviticus twenty-seven, verse thirty. A tithe of everything from the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the whose? Did he say is the Levites? said, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so, first and foremost, in their giving of a tenth, they're giving it to the Lord. They're giving it to the Lord. And note these things as principles as we go through. And yet, in Deuteronomy, chapter 26, verse 12, And you can look there with me, Deuteronomy 26, verse 12. We see further clarification as to the use and purpose of that tenth and what the Lord is determining ought to be done with that tenth. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving to the Levite, the Sojourner, the Fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be satisfied. And so the tithe in its entirety was to be for the purpose of the Levites, and that was the regular tithe. And then every third year, which they called the year of the 10th, there would be Uh, uh, An additional tenth given, where it would also not only go to the Levites, those who are in priestly service, but it would also go to those who lacked and were in need. The foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may be satisfied. And so there's a a sense of welfare being outworked in the direction of how this tenth is used. Overall, it's regarded that when you consider the different expressions of of temps that were collected at various times, that their total contribution would amount to about 23%. About 23%, which you kind of hear that and think, hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. It's quite like our tax system. And so there's a level at which it was like a tax. And it was used in a similar way to the way in which we might use our tax and national insurance. But the first thing to note is that the priority in giving the 10th was to ensure that the Levites were provided for. Because as a tribe, they didn't have their own piece of land... They didn't have their own um, uh, sort of trades or their own work that they were doing. They were people who were separated from among the nation to actually minister to the Lord on behalf of the people, minister to the people on behalf of the Lord. And so because that was their full-time occupation, that's what occupied, occupied their time. They didn't have the capacity to go out and to work and to do these other things. And yet, we see that actually, their role was essential. And so to that end, it was important that the people provided for them in order to fulfill that essential role as determined by the Lord. So, you had the primary aspect of the 10th going to the Levites regularly to provide for them so that they could carry out the work of the ministry. And then you had the other aspect of the 10th, the additional which would be fall into the, the category of the, the contributions or of the offerings. That would also be used but towards the, those who were in need. And you notice, it's not just the the widows and the orphans, but it's also the the migrants, the foreigners. Or as it says in the ESV, the sojourners. Those who have found themselves here from somewhere else and who are in need, who don't have, who are in lack. Such is the, the Lord's care towards those who are in need that he would prescribe the nation to make provision. And again, when we consider our welfare system as a country, the reality is that our welfare system is framed around a Judeo-Christian worldview. And so it's, it's Christians who introduce this notion of a common pot from which people could be provided for uh, and an NHS who need more of that pot right about now. And if you've been abroad, especially if you've been to the States, and you've heard some of the stories, or you watch it in the films, and you see how they go on about health insurance, and if you ain't got health insurance, and you could be at death's door. All, e- even if you have. And they're starting to dispute... With your insurer. Listen. It's a precarious life. And anyone sees that says I give thanks to God for the NHS, you know. My brother-in-law was in hospital for three days. And the to pay dollars For the microphone. Three days treatment. $65,000 bill. And so we see the, the blessing of this system that's being described here, we see the blessing of that personally when it works. It makes sense. There's, there's equity, there's a fairness, there's a, a provision for those who need it most when they need it most. And yet, these people in this time that Malachi is speaking to, were withholding their contribution. And yet, nonetheless, wanting all of the benefits. And so, when we think about this, let's just consider, how does this relate to us? Because, undoubtedly, we've all been, you know, exposed to the preaching of the tithe. Even the quotation of this verse as a threat. Will a man rob God? (laughs) Bring your tithes and your offerings. Five times a service. We've seen this misused and abused. We've seen it misquoted and exploited as a means of gain. And so how should we as New Testament believers respond and interact with this? What does this mean to us? Does it mean that if we're not paying a tenth of our income, and that's whether you even start to debate whether it's net or gross. I mean, if King Charles is getting his piece first, shouldn't the Lord get his And that's what we hear, right? How are we meant to interact with this? Lord of mercy. First and foremost, we appreciate that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. And that doesn't mean that we, this now has no relevance to us because we are no longer under this law. There's a, a, a phrase that's used when you're considering the Old Testament and how it relates to us as believers. There's a phrase that is, continuity and discontinuity and there are some things in which it's it's been entirely discontinued because it's been fulfilled in Christ and there are some things in which there's a continuation of the principle albeit not under the same terms and conditions The Old Testament was one set of terms and conditions. It's a bit like you get your mobile phone and you're on contract. And you're on contract for two years and you can't upgrade until 18 months. And you pass your upgrade period. Once you pass your upgrade period, you're under a different set of terms and conditions. You fulfilled the old terms and conditions. You still continue to benefit from the service. But now, you can stop your service at any time without having to pay out the rest of the contract. You can upgrade at any time. And so, that kind of picture of terms and conditions being met and fulfilled and yet having a sense of continuity is pictured in that example. But in order for us to understand where there's continuity, we have to take guidance from the New Testament text. We can't just make it up. And I've heard many a sermon where people have tried to shoehorn this into the New Testament. Saying that, you know, Jesus spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees and he said, you tithe of your herbs and your spices. Thinking you're holy. You see, Jesus was affirming the tithe in the New Testament. And so if you don't, you're robbing God. And you're under a curse. Now, Galatians tells us that Jesus has taken the curse of the law for us. Jesus has taken the curse of the law for us. He has by his grace fulfilled the whole law. Jesus fulfilled this. How do we understand that? Jesus didn't just say, give to Caesar what's due to Caesar and give to the Lord what's due to the Lord's." But he gave his entire self. Like, we're not quibbling over 10% versus 90% or is it 23% over that? Jesus wasn't in them kind of debates. Jesus gave his entire self and in doing so fulfilled this plus change in abundance. So we are not obligated, we're not obliged We are not um, under the threat of a curse if we don't pay a tenth. But walk with me to Galatians 6. God is good. Uh, Come on, come on, saints. I have one and two witnesses in the building. God is good. Mm, All the time, man. All right. (laughs) Amen. And and I'm going to read Galatians 6 from verses 1 to 10 because it's tremendous the way in which it encapsulates the sense of what we've just looked at in Malachi 3, but in different terms. All right, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Listen. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, And especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so in here we see this commendation, verse 2, to bear one another's burdens. And that was the point of the, 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 the financial system, the economic structure that God established. God don't need anyone's money. God has it all. Anything that God calls us to do is ultimately of benefit to us. And so when we give as an expression of worship, not only are we cultivating a healthy attitude of heart, but we are also forging strengthened links within the body, the, the people of God. We're investing in ourselves. Because that same investment that we will make in others through our giving, we will need at some point. Bear one another's burdens, verse 2. Verse 6. Notice, verse 6 comes before or after verse 10. Before. Was it a trick question? (laughs) Let Let the one who is taught the word... Share all good things with the one who teaches. And so there's a sense of where that that spiritual nourishment is being imparted. You are to reciprocate that through practical support. Support the ones who are about the work of the ministry. And then goes on to say, don't be deceived, you get what you pay for. Was that paraphrase a bit too, bit too cold? <laughs> That's what it says, right? You reap what you sow. Isn't that the same thing? You get what you pay for. And so we want to see healthy youth ministry, healthy children's ministry. We want to see men's ministry, women's ministry. We want to see popping outreach. We want to see... We want counseling in our time of need getting married, going through bereavement. Like we, all of these things can only happen where investment is made. Otherwise, the Levites have to go to work. Practically speaking. And it's not rocket science, because we live life like this, right? We understand that that's how life works. And yet, somehow, sometimes, as believers, we step into the church and feel as though... It's a bubble in which practical common sense doesn't apply. And yet the Lord is reminding us here from Galatians, you get what you pay for. And he even goes on to say, in in what you're paying into, is it carnal, earthly, fleshly, that's just subject to corruption, or is it a spiritual investment? Or is it a spiritual investment? Hmm. Jesus said, Matthew 6, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice, it doesn't say, Where your heart is, your treasure will be. Because where you place your treasure is already an expression of your values and priorities. It shows where your heart is. And to actually commit that act to invest in X, Y, or Z, and, and uh, I think it was um, Martin Luther to paraphrase who basically said, if you want to know What a person's priorities really are, the things that they really value, then look at what they do with their money. Take a look at your own heart, I found a quote, and you will soon find out what has stuck to it and where your treasure is. It is easy to to determine whether hearing the word of God, living according to it, and achieving such a life gives you much enjoyment and calls forth as much diligence from you as does accumulating and saving money and property. You know, this kind of talk grates against this mantra of our day, generational wealth. Not that it dismisses the notion of generational wealth, but it takes it to another level. We're not just called to generational wealth, we're called to eternal wealth, everlasting wealth. And so when Galatians 6 says, the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That's not just in terms of what we do with our time, but in in the context, it's what we do with our money. I would encourage us to do an audit. Sit down and have a look at what we're doing with our finances. We may be shocked to find that our media subscriptions, Spotify, Apple Music, Netflix, Disney Plus, yada, 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 amounts more each month than that which we give to the Lord. That's just our media subscriptions without the frivolous coffees and uh, and whatever else we will casually spend our money on. And again, it's not to negate those things. Jesus said, seek first. Or did he say, seek last? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All the things will be. So it's not as if the Lord is like, just live like a hermit. Just wear sackcloth. Put ash on your head. Don't no No perfume. No skin cream. Like. That's not what the Lord is saying. As we consider these principles, we recognize that there needs to be a a realigning of the posture of our heart. There needs to be a realigning of the posture of our heart. Because by the time the Lord goes on to say, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, verse 10. Again, that sense of the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, those who are in need. And yet he goes on to say, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's take note of that, saints, because there's a real challenge for us. Often, hmm, a number of challenges come out of this. Often, we find ourselves in a place where it's easier for us to invest our efforts in that which is of benefit to the lost over investing our efforts in that which benefits the believer hear me good now I'm just preaching the text let us do good to everyone who's exempt from that no one, everyone is everyone right but especially to those who are of the household of faith. When me and Pastor Rob was doing schools work and running studio and putting on events and so on and so forth, we were quite convicted at one point because we were like, you know what? We're going all out for the, 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 the unbelieving young people of our community. Rightly so. But how are we balancing that and ensuring that actually we're investing likewise in those who are the young people within the context of the church? We used to do an an event called God Corner. And in as much as that was an outreach, it was also in reach. There was a way in which that brought the church together and young Christians who were um, just seeking to find a, a a, an outlet for their faith in ways that was consistent with who they were. And that found that, that, that was a common ground and, a, and a, a place where many were able to feel seen and accepted and were able to rejoice vigorously, loudly, in the faith. But there was always that tension... How are we translating this in kingdom terms? Because we should be giving a special attention to those who are of the household of faith. And what often militates against that is because we know each other, right? And we have high expectations of each other. Like the lost, they're lost. They say a dog barks because it's a dog. A cat meows because it's a cat. The lost are the lost and they behave as they do as they lost and we accept that and, and it doesn't deter our commitment to them even when they come into barley loaves and they make up noise and they cuss us and we're still there the next week because we know, you know what you can't help who you are and God has called us to love you and yet we have a much lower tolerance for each other why my girl never spoke to me, you know? What? All right. Three weeks later, no words exchanged between. between no, no, I'm not. I'm not talking to her until she comes and apologises. And we wouldn't treat an unbeliever like that. We got more grace for the unbeliever. And so because of that, it can cause us to find ourselves in a place where we are actually biased against our own. May we repent of that. We are called to show special love and attention to the needs of those who are in the household of faith. And so again, verse 6 we see, quote unquote, the Levites, those who are carrying out the work of the ministry. Verse 10 we see those who are in need, especially within the body of Christ. And this is a a principle for all who would follow Christ. This should be part of our spiritual discipline. Now, you might say, okay, so the principle to give is there. I see that, and I can see the way in which that, that giving is to be directed, but how much? Come on, Pastor E., Set the tax. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're not called to give a certain amount. In Second Corinthians um, chapter 8 and also chapter 9, we see the Apostle Paul speak extensively on this matter. And before we even talk about how much, let's just reflect a little further on the posture of our heart as it relates to this. First and foremost, when we're giving, just as was recognized in the Old Testament, we are first giving to the Lord. We are not giving conditionally because, you know what, we feel like things are popping at church right now, or, you know... We're not going to withhold our giving because I don't really like that line of reasoning that they're taking in the sermons at the moment, you know. But actually, in our giving, we're giving to the Lord. And so our giving is an expression of grateful worship. It is giving that is offered in response to what God has already done. God has not only given us life, it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. God has not only sent His Son to save us and give His all for us, and yet all that we have comes from God. We might feel like we're making a decision about what we do with our resources our money. <laughs> and the Lord's like, okay. Where did it come from? How did you, oh, well, you know, I went to uni and I put in the work and I got that 2-1. Listen, set, and then when I got my master's, that was it. Job market was open to me and, and the Lord's like, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so that, that that capacity, those mental faculties, that ability, that energy, that effort that you were able to apply, where did it come from? That uh, mental acumen to be able to learn and to process and to apply, where did that come from? Where do you think these companies came from that are going to be offer- that are offering you work, and where do you think that? And then we go through something like the pandemic and we realise how frail everything is. And you've got the high street with tumbleweed blowing down it. (laughs) Big stores going to the wall. I remember when Woolworths closed. I wasn't even old enough to understand economics, but I just knew that wasn't a good look. I was like, Woolworth, big, big Woolworth. Every high street in the country, closed down. BHS, gone. (laughs) And we see this repeatedly. It shows how fragile these things are in which we trust, that we feel like we've built. Actually, God is the author and sustainer. And with a mere impulse, they can disappear. There's more than one. I was listening to the story of a homeless person the other day who used to be on the stock exchange. Homeless on the street. He was earning six-figure, seven-figure salaries. Homeless on the street. So let's not think that we're exempt. Let's not think that we've future-proofed our life because of our... Fortitude and our earnest efforts. Everything comes from God. Everything that we have is His. I mean, quite simply, we've been bought with a price. Our life is not our own. We belong to the Lord. And so it's not really so much Lord how much am I going to keep for myself? It's, Lord, what do you want me to do with all of it? Because we even rob ourselves when we begin to kind of think in terms of, well, is it 10% and then I've got 90% to do what I want with? Actually, we're selling ourselves out. Because if our whole life is is the Lord's, then all of our money is the Lord's, and we shouldn't have a compartmentalized view of how we... Divide up the use of our funds. We should seek to glorify God with all of our money. Otherwise, we find ourselves in a place where we get self-indulgent. We get, you know, self-gratifying. I paid my tenth, and so now I can just squander this money on foolishness, wastefulness. God's not pleased with that. It's not excused. We're not justified because, oh, well, I've paid my tenth. God expects us to glorify him with all of our money. He also... um, uh, Time... Time is the master. I'd encourage you to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Because from that we will see that first and foremost... The people of Corinth gave themselves to the Lord, verse 5. And then to Paul and the ministry team. So their heart was for the Lord and for the the people doing the work of the Lord. That was the first part of of, of which their heart was shaped and and inclined towards pleasing God. And it says in verse 2 that they, even in a time of trial with overflowing joy and extreme poverty. Imagine, overflowing joy but extreme poverty. What a picture. They begged Paul to partner by way of giving. Maybe they had sat down as, 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 a, as a people and just been reflecting on Malachi and thinking, you know what, when we give to the Lord, the Lord's promised to meet our needs. We're in extreme poverty and maybe the answer to our poverty is generosity, because we know that the kingdom, right, is, is back to front. The way to be exalted is to get low and humble on your knees. The, 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 the way to be considered is to consider others before yourself. etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so they recognize that actually, generosity is an antidote to victim mentality. I I heard a story just this week of a brother who said that he had spoken with someone that he knows from overseas, and they live in a village, in a hut in a village. And they said to him, "Um, can you let me know your details because I want to send you some support. Now, he works with me at LCM, and he's like, no, this is, there's something wrong with this conversation right here. No. And so he said, you know, no, 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 I shouldn't. And they said, no, 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 no. Don't rob me of the opportunity of sewing into what you're doing. And so he said he still didn't feel comfortable with it, and yet he left it, he didn't pass on any details, but they found him on the website and uh, established a, a regular gift. And it's not, the, it's not the, the amount of pounds, it's the principle. That someone, even in their lack, especially as we would view it. And so, in verse 8 of Second Corinthians 8, when Paul's speaking to the Corinthians about their gift towards the work, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. Wowzers. I want to prove the earnest, prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. And there's a level at which, you know they say actions speak louder than words, right? We can sing the songs. You deserve it. You deserve it. <laughs> what, what, does, what does our um, bank, bank statement say the Lord deserves? <laughs> the genuineness of the love. The love is there, yeah? Let's look at your bank statement, it? Save the Lord. <laughs> In King James. <laughs> and so, once our heart is postured right, where we're esteeming the Lord rightly with gratitude... And sincerity. When we're rightly recognizing. The people of God. Doing the work of God. When we're genuinely finding. uh, um, Seeking opportunity to express our love. Then. However much you give. Is going to be good. Because it's coming from a good place. And yet the Lord goes on. To say that that giving should be sacrificial. In chapter 9, um, I'll just read uh, a, a few verses here. From chapter 9, verse 6. Um, this is Second Corinthians. Yeah, yeah, bless you. Second Corinthians 9. Yeah, there we go. Praise God. So from verse 6, Remember this, whoever so sparingly That's what God desires to see. Because that attitude of generosity will overflow. Once you're, you're, you're in a generous posture, there's no limit in that. There's no, it won't just be, well, I give my money to the Lord. It will be hospitality, people coming to your house. It will be being willing to... It will just become something that characterizes our lives. Verse 9, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Like I say, read the whole chapter. Um, Two chapters, eight and nine. And so, I consider the words of David. He said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Like, this has to mean something to me. In our giving, let that be our guide. There's a level at which, if we can easily miss it, we haven't given enough. But it's, it's got to be something that, you know what, this has significance. There's something sacrificial in our giving. Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan, said this. Those people who say that I can't afford to give are basically saying I can't afford to give without inconveniencing myself or burdening myself. And yet, as we read in Galatians, bear one one another's burdens. How do we bear a burden if it's not somewhat burdensome? So may this impact our heart and our posture as it relates to giving. And as we look back in now, Malachi chapter 3, God's promise is to provide for our needs. Just as we read there in 2 Corinthians 8, just as Paul said to the Philippians who had entered into partnership with him as those who gave. He said, my God shall supply all your greeds according to his riches in glory. Is that what he said? No. And we see this here in verse 10. The Lord says, test me in this if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now that's need by his definition and not ours. Amen. And we know how we can extrapolate our view of needs. God's faithful. God is not a man that he should lie And so when they turn around and say, it's it's, it's vain to serve God, notice God doesn't even answer them. I mean, why should we make sacrifice and give ourselves to God and, and humble ourselves before him and put him first? And I mean, look at the wicked prospering, is what they say. And the Lord must just hear that and drum his fingers on the table and be like, Come on, haven't we had this conversation before? Haven't you read Psalm 73? The, 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 the song of Asaph. Don't you know that song? When Asaph poured out his heart, oh, why did the wicked prosper? And then he got to verses 16 and 17 and he said, but when I thought how to understand this, it's Psalm 73, 16, 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It's long. How am I even trying to bother myself trying to get to the bottom of just how it is the wicked seem to prosper without any kind of comeuppance? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. I went into the house of the Lord. Then I discerned their end. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? The losing of the soul happens before the losing of their life. Somebody once said, whatever you cannot give, you don't hold, it holds you. That quotable comes from Luke chapter 12, where the man had his barns full and he was like, what am I going to do? I've got so much. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to just tear down and rebuild bigger. (laughs) How much does one person need? Where's the generosity? Where's the commitment to investing in the kingdom? Investing in, in eternity? And so that person whose heart has already been lost, like Lot's wife, remember Lot's wife. And the angel ran them out of Sodom. Don't look back. And she looked back and she's still looking back now. (laughs) Turned to a pillar of salt. Because she left her heart in Sodom. It was then that she lost her soul, long before she lost her life. And one of the fundamental causes of addictions and all manner of vices is because people lose their souls to things. And they feel the the vacancy of that. I know I've gone long. I'm going to finish now. Because here's the, the rejoicing. The book of remembrance. You see, the Lord doesn't answer them at all oh you say it's vain to, to serve the Lord like the Lord's like you know what, all is not lost because there is a faithful people and I hear them when they speak of me I, I, I'm there with them when they're reasoning about the, 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 the kingdom and the things of God the things pertaining to me and there's a level at which I appreciate that Even as we're here this morning, I'm preaching to the choir. You know, I look around and I see people who are engaged, people who are committed. Now, I don't know what happens financially because in all of our years of ministry, we have never, ever, ever had any sight of who gives what on a personal level as elders. Bible says that the right hand shouldn't let the left hand know what it's doing. That's between you and the Lord. That's not for us to be scrutinizing and running you down. And yet, from the overflow of generosity that I see constantly, time and time again, exhibited I recognise that I'm able to thank God for being among a faithful people who love the Lord, who care about the things he cares about, and cares about the people he cares about. And you can be encouraged that the Lord recognises you as his treasured possession. So much more to say. But may God help us to be grateful in our worship as it relates to giving and faithful in our stewardship as it relates to that which he has given us in all of our life. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite the ladies back as I pray.